0: guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, thank you, Brian. Hey, so we're in a series in Ephesians, and so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open that up. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 again today. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, we're told this. He says, I want you to be imitators of God. And then he gives us three ways that we're to be imitators of God. He says, first, as imitators of God, as children who are loved by God, I want you to walk in love. So that's one way we imitate God. Secondly he says as imitators of God and as children of light I want you to learn how to walk in the light and we looked at those verses last week. Now today we're going to unpack together what it means to walk in wisdom Uh, and now and and these are vital skills for life like three legs of a three-legged stool you know, if you do two of these okay, but don't do the other very well, it can really, that your whatever life you build is not going to support the weight of your expectations. It's so important that we be able to walk in wisdom. And the reason that Paul says we walk in wisdom is because we've been given the Holy Spirit who, who leads and guides us every single day. So that's what we're going to look at uh, today but before we dig into the verses though, i want to just dig into the value of wisdom so we're on the same page about what we're really talking about now wisdom is the skill or the ability to live life well it also lives life well in light of god and in light of eternity wisdom is perspective so I want you to consider the value of that. What would it mean to you if you always said the right thing? You always knew exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. That's the value of wisdom. What would it feel like to never struggle with what to say or how to communicate the right thing to someone else? Furthermore, what would it look like to always do what is right and best in any given situation just to to know how to behave in any given set of circumstances and then having the courage to kind of see that through what would it mean to you to be able to put whatever problem you have in your life right now to be able to put that into perspective I mean, that's what it looks like to walk in wisdom, to be able to put our problems into their proper perspective. This is what happens in the presence of wisdom. What would wisdom look like in your marriage right now? How might it look for you as you're trying to raise children? So I was at a pastor's conference this week in Atlanta, Uh, about 5,000 pastors at this conference, and there was a father son pastoral team and the son stood up at one point and pointed to his older father and he said i just want everybody to know here that my father is my hero and you know what i thought in that moment i thought there is a dad who walked in wisdom as it related to the raising of his children his children uh you know kind of get that and reflect that back right in fact for many many years when somebody has asked me how they can pray for me I always give the same answer. In fact, many of you remember Pastor Jason. Same thing for him. For many, many years, I don't know. I, it's, we both started asking for this so far back. I can't even remember whether it was Jason or me that stole it from the other. But one of the things I always loved about Pastor Jason, whenever you, and you, many of you know this, whenever you'd ask him how you could pray for him, he always gave the same answer. It's the same one I give. Ask God to give me wisdom. 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 Now listen, it would be easy to think this is just pastor speak. You know what I mean? That I'm like speaking, uh, you know, this because like I'm super spiritual or I'm just trying to impress all you guys with my humility. Listen, that has nothing to do with it. I ask people to pray for wisdom for me, not because I'm so spiritual, but because I am so desperate Listen, I know every single week of ministry I'm asked to make some sort of call to weigh in to some complicated decision that I know is just way above my pay grade. It's too complex, it's too complicated, and I know I'm not smart enough to make that decision on my own. Now, let me give you just one example of a recent season of ministry and what that looked like. So, some of us, when we think back to 2020, that just seemed to come out of nowhere, right? We should have 2020 on the slide there. Good. Yeah, that just seemed to come out of nowhere, and I just need you to hear me say that trying to lead and shepherd a church in 2020 required the wisdom of Solomon it did and guess what i don't have the wisdom of solomon so you better believe that on a daily basis during that season of my life i prayed for wisdom every day and just to kind of in case you're a little foggy on the happenings or maybe you're you're not remembering uh, everything that went down in that year i'm just going to kind of walk you through it so in 2020 we had a pandemic that created an economic shutdown that left us teetering on financial meltdown while also navigating social unrest during an election year. Welcome to my party. Listen, trying to listen, it was so difficult because. Uh, in 2020 everybody had strong opinions right they had strong opinions about who should be serving in elected offices they had strong opinions about uh, whether we should wear masks or whether we shouldn't wear masks or whether we should be vaccinated or whether we shouldn't be vaccinated and my primary job as a pastor was to remind you often to play nice with one another I mean, by all means, have strong opinions. But at the end of the day, an opinion should never undermine a relationship. When Jesus was introducing his New Testament, New Covenant, he said this, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I don't want you to love one another as you would want to be loved. This is a raise the bar kind of love. And then furthermore, he said this, By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, you can be right in in an opinion and still be wrong if it interferes or gets in the way of a relationship especially with another follower of Jesus a strong opinion is no excuse to trash someone else speak unkindly about someone else and I know you get a crash course on that every day on the internet on social media but may that never be for the people of God your primary calling what you your calling card as a christian is meant to be love not whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask not whether you get a vaccine or you don't get a vaccine your calling card is love have a strong opinion but don't let that opinion Uh, you know interfere with relationships and by the way 2020 was my very first pandemic I'd never led through a pandemic oh and by the way that was part of the problem right because nobody had nobody had ever led through a pandemic so there was no book I could pick up here's how we did it there was no resource that I could go to to decide what next steps we needed to take as a church, right? There were no guidebooks. There was just nothing available. I needed wisdom during every day, every week, and month of that entire year. Now, on top of that, 2020 was also the year that God asked me I was sure of it I told anybody that was lit would listen I was as sure of it as I was sure of anything that God called me to lead the charge on a financial stewardship campaign around the idea of bringing hope and healing to our community. And listen, there were people that flat out I mean they would say things like this, the nicer people would do it this way. They would say do you think it's a good time to lead people through a financial stewardship campaign? Because you know we're in the middle of a pandemic. Now, that was a reasonable ask, right? I got that ask. But then there were other people that were less nice, and they just, ab- just basically would call me an idiot like you are an idiot for doing a stewardship campaign in the middle of a pandemic because you did see the words up there right financial meltdown and financial crisis but i knew I knew, I knew, I knew in asking God for wisdom that that was what God was asking me to do and I needed to be courageous and I needed to let go of what I thought people thought about me. I needed to entrust my reputation to God and do what I believed God was asking me to do even though it looked foolish and it did right? I mean, I get the concern. It's not that I'm immune to that, but sometimes God doesn't always ask us to do things in a way that makes sense to everybody else, or even in a way that makes sense at all. Sometimes God just wants to get the glory. Now, two years later, let me just, let's just give God some glory. Almost, well, (laughs) thank you for that. Yeah, don't jump the gun, Amanda. Yeah, we're going to give God glory this way because here's what's happening. Almost every good thing that's happening in our church in 2022 is happening because of the foundation that we began to lay together through that stewardship campaign in 2020. So we now have the bridge in our community where we're running all Celebrate Recovery and all of our support groups. And God's, and it's full, by the way. Our Celebrate Recovery ministry is chock full every week. Listen, listen it gets worse. I mean, the people that at the bridge, and it's a beautiful facility. Many of you know it's the former Shelby Senior Services building. But they're already coming to me saying they need more room right? We're going to have to double up on our programming just to accommodate all the needs that are coming in there. I thought it was huge when we were going to buy it, and already we're, we're outgrowing it. When you think about our Women's Bridge to Hope house, do you know that today, as we celebrate Mother's Day, we are graduating. There's a, we've got another graduate of our Women's Bridge to Hope house. Isn't that incredible? And what that means is it's yet one more life that has been completely changed. And I think Chelsea's story is so meaningful here on Mother's Day because uh, she had her her little one five days after being at the house. She's learned how to be a mom at the Women's Bridge to Hope. So I'm going to let Chelsea just tell you her story, and so just check out our screen.
1: My whole life changed in a moment when I had my daughter. I know that some people say that, but it's true. When I looked into her eyes, I saw an entire world that could be different. But I knew that I couldn't do that alone. And I knew that I needed to believe in something bigger because something bigger is what gave me that beautiful little girl in my arms. I do not have any happy memories from my childhood. I was physically and sexually abused as a child. Most of the physical abuse came from my biological mom. When I was seven years old, me and my sisters, we got off the bus and we came home and all of her stuff was gone. She left and she never came back. I don't know, the one person that I always thought would never leave left. DCS came and they handed us trash bags and told us that we needed to pack our belongings. And they sent us to a foster home. When I was 12 years old, I got adopted and it was by the first foster home that I'd ever been in. I had been told when I was in the group home by my caseworker that I was too old to get adopted and that nobody would want me, um, that I was gonna be in the system for the rest of my life until I was 18, and I believed it. And it kinda it messed me up for a really long time. And then when I went to college is kinda when things really started to escalate. Started talking to a friend that I used to be friends with and he was an ex-heroin addict and he was substituting his heroin addiction for meth. All it took was one time. I have an addictive personality and uh, I spiraled out of control. I ended up in Shelbyville with my daughter's dad. Her dad and I were heavy users together and um, we were in a very toxic relationship. He was abusive. And then in September, I found out I was pregnant. Things got worse, the abuse, And uh, there was a point in time where I feared for my daughter's life. So I left, and I went to a domestic violence shelter. And three days after I left, he committed suicide. I think that messed me up, too, because that was another person in my life that left. Somebody that I loved and I trusted and I cared about. When Brandon died, I started panicking. And I was like, I'm a kid. How am I going to take care of a kid? especially on my home. My reason for using drugs changed. And I used it because it made me feel numb. And I would have rather not felt anything than have to deal with all the emotions and the feelings that I had. That was my life, that was my adulthood, was addiction. My childhood was trauma. My daughter's dad's mom was with me in the delivery room when I had her and she left and never came back. Within 24 hours, I had nowhere to go. I didn't have a home, and my daughter was being taken away from me, and I had to find somewhere for her to go. And so my brother stepped in, and he helped. I knew that I needed to make a change. Otherwise, my kid was gonna have the same life I did. When I called Marsha Fisher, she had no idea who I was. They just knew that I'd had a baby, and that I wanted help. And they gave me a chance. So I came to the home five days after my daughter was born. When I came to the Women's Bridge to Hope, I was a work in progress, that's for sure. Not wanting to listen to authoritative figures, not trusting the fact that the people that were helping me really were helping me and wanted to help me. I think that the biggest turning point for me was when the judge ordered Camilla to come to the house. I think that's when they really started to see a change in me and having a little tiny baby there that needed me, needed me for everything. That changed me. I opened myself up to a faith-based recovery and I gave God a chance. I didn't want to get close to God because I had resentments towards him. I thought that everything that happened in my life was because of him. And when I started letting go of my resentments towards God, Jesus changed my life. I let go of my bitterness and my anger about Brandon's death. I found a lot of forgiveness there. I forgave my sister and I forgave my mom. And that was one of the biggest things that was holding me back. I stayed in that recovery program because faith is what worked. Out of everything else in my life that I would tried, the faith is what worked. You know, I was able to understand God's love for me by my love for my daughter. I don't think I would have ever understood that without her. Jesus to me means life. I didn't have a life before him. And now I have a life because of him. And without the church, I wouldn't have a family. So I just want to thank them for everything that they've done. For being willing to give somebody a chance that they didn't know. It took me a long time to get here, but I'm going to be okay. And it's because God's walking with me.
0: One of the things I just love about our Heavenly Father is He always gets the last word. Amen. You know? And so, uh, yeah, we just want to give Him the glory for uh, the way He just is continuing to shape and change lives. And I just want to remind you that, you know, almost every good thing God is doing in 2022 started because so many of you said yes when it was hard back in 2020. And you know, that's an amazing thing to me, and it's really cool to see uh, God using that. All right, so Ephesians 5 just lays out for us what it looks like to walk in wisdom. Let's uh, dig into that. Here's how he starts. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now he's just pointing something out here that's fairly obvious to all of us. We can live our lives foolishly or we can live our lives wisely and we live either foolishly or wisely by the choices that we make every single day and what he's saying when he says things like well we got to make the most of every opportunity and the days are evil he's just reminding us that if we aren't intentional about making wise choices we will always drift into foolish ones we just will the current of this life and this world always steer toward foolishness and you have, to stream, you have to swim against the stream of our culture to actually make wise choices. So he reiterates, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, earlier in this chapter, he said exactly the same thing. And we asked the question, how do you do that? How do you understand what God's will is? And I said last week that we understand God's will by reading God's word by studying his word in other words God's will is revealed in his word you come to understand God as you grow in an understanding of his word but here we're going to find a completely different source for understanding what the understanding what the Lord's will is here's what it is do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with with the Holy Spirit. Now, debauchery isn't a word we use much, so I want to kind of talk about what that is. It's, I would just call it the unrestrained pursuit of pleasure. That's what debauchery is, the unrestrained pursuit of pleasure. Uh, other, another way you can define it is it's just foolish excess, foolish excess. And here he says, don't do this instead do this so he says don't get drunk on wine so there's the clear prohibition against drunkenness in the new testament right don't do that instead be filled with the holy spirit now if you've ever watched somebody if you've ever seen somebody actually get drunk at a party you know that they lose their inhibitions in other words They are surrendering control. Someone who is drunk has surrendered control to alcohol. They've handed over their reins of their life to a substance that doesn't know them, care about them, or love them. It certainly doesn't want what is best for them in contrast to the Holy Spirit, right? So here's what he's saying what does it mean to be filled with the holy spirit well when you contrast it with the do not be drunk on wine it's very clear what it means to be filled with the holy spirit is to be yielded or surrendered to the holy spirit it's to be controlled on a moment by moment basis by the Holy Spirit. In the same way that when someone is drunk on wine, they are surrendered to or controlled by that alcoholic substance, we can instead choose to live on a moment-by-moment basis, surrendered to uh, the control of God in the Holy Spirit. So being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't so much about getting more of the Spirit, but actually letting the Holy Spirit get more of you. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the ways that we gain wisdom. See, and I'll tell you something else. You and I need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to do it uh, daily, in a moment-by-moment kind of way. And you know why we have to be filled with the Spirit? Because you and I leak. Every one of us in the room, we we leak. In other words, we get distracted. We get preoccupied. We immediately revert and try to live independently of God. We worry. We fret. We sin. We impulsively take back the reins of control from God and, and you know take control for ourselves. So we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit Now, when I was in college, I was part of a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill Bright was the president then of that group. I think today that ministry is called Crew. Uh, So Bill Bright gave a great illustration for being how to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. The way he referenced it was he talked about something called spiritual breathing. So he would say this, To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're constantly exhaling your sin or confessing your sin. Hey God, I said this I shouldn't have. Hey God, you asked me to do that and I didn't. Hey God, you just, that's, you're exhaling your sin and you're inhaling God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And he says, you do that, you live filled with the Holy Spirit because in that moment you're being yielded to or controlled by God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're told here that we come to know wisdom in this case, living, walking in wisdom by being fully yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, that He is the source of that wisdom. And here's what's so cool about that. You know that Jesus actually called the Holy Spirit our counselor. In other words, He gives good counsel, He gives wise counsel, He guides us in the best way to walk. And so, as a counselor, uh, he guides us in wisdom now um, he never fail, in fact the holy spirit never fails to give counsel but here's the issue if we will listen to his still small voice The voice of the Holy Spirit is still and small. It's not loud. God is not going to force himself on anybody. And so it's possible to kind of crash through that, to to just cast that aside. You have to be willing to listen to those nudgings. You have to be quiet and still enough to get those promptings from the Holy Spirit. And that has to be learned. You, you learn it, it's art, it's not, it's not science. Uh, and you learn to recognize the voice of God in your life or the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the same way that you learn to trust any other person in your life. You learn how to sift for that. Let me give you an example. So in 1 Samuel chapter 3, there's a little boy named Samuel who's in the care of an old priest by the name of Eli. And we're told in 1 Samuel 3 that God, the Lord, called out to Samuel. He's just a little boy. He's never heard God's voice before, but three times in a row he hears God's voice, but each time he goes to Eli, who's asleep in bed. And he says, hey, you talk to me. What did you want? Well, finally, Eli tells him the first couple of times, look, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. You're you're having a dream. You're having a nightmare. Just go back to bed. Well, on the third time, we're told that Samuel realizes that it's the voice of the Lord talking to little Samuel. So what Eli tells him is this. He says, hey, the next time you hear this voice, if you hear it again tonight, I want you to say this. I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening now it isn't just about the words in other words he is saying whatever the lord speaks you're his servant so you do whatever that voice asks you to do you are the lord's servant and so you make it clear to god that when he speaks you will do what he asks. And here's why that is so important. See, why would God speak to anyone if he knows in advance they're not going to do what he he asks them to do in the first place? See, a lot of people, when they approach God, they don't approach God as servants. They approach God as consumers. Consumers. They want God to do something for them, to bless them. They're not saying, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. See, it may be true. See, one of the things I, I have a little concern about, and it's partially true, that's what makes it so difficult. Because, you know, the Bible calls Jesus a friend of sinners, right? So, certainly, he's a friend. But he's way more than just a friend or a counselor. He's way more than somebody who's supposed to co pilot, and we occasionally ask Jesus to take the wheel. He is King of Kings, He is the Lord God Almighty. And when he speaks, when he prompts, when he guides, when he directs, when he moves, we, like Samuel, should say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. In other words, I will do what you want. You're not just making a recommendation. You're issuing a commandment to me, and whatever you ask me to do, I will do that. And I'll just give you an example of how I think people approach God as consumers. When I was growing up, there was a game show. It was on TV. If you're over about 45, you probably remember the game show. It was called Let's Make a Deal. Remember Monty Hall? People would dress up in these outrageous costumes. They'd show up at this show, and at some point in every uh, show, uh, Monty Hall would pull them up, and he would show them three doors, and he would say, hey, you can pick what's behind door number one, you can pick what's behind door number two, you can pick what's behind door number three. And, if, and maybe behind door number one, there's a mule and a year's worth of mule food. I don't even know what mules eat, but you know, that would be what would be behind door number one. But then behind door number three, there'd be a brand new car. And so, if they pick door number one, eh, it's not going to work out so good for them, right? You know what? I think a lot of people approach God as a consumer, and what they want God to do is tell them, "What's you know, okay, God, which door should I pick? Like, like, what woman should I marry that's going to bless me the most and cause me the least amount of headaches?" Like, show me which door she's behind, God. Hey, show me which school I should go to, God. Show me which school is going give, to give me the best income and give me the best living. See, we, we approach God as consumers. Now listen, as our Heavenly Father... God wants us as his children to ask him for things. I'm not saying that asking God for things is is wrong or bad. I think that's just part of what it means to live in a relationship with God. So don't hear me saying anything different than that. However, sometimes we can go to God and ask him to give us stuff, but not be the least bit interested in doing what he asks us to do and that's where this becomes toxic and it becomes dangerous because he is king of kings and he is lord of lords and the holy spirit in you is given to you to help you live and walk in wisdom now so we've said that being filled with the spirit is being yielded or controlled by the spirit and then paul is going to tell us three things that happen in the life of a person who lives their life filled with the Holy Spirit or yielded or controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. The first thing he points out is that there's going to be mutual ministry to other people. In other words, people are going to be ministering to one another. Here's the way he says it here. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he's saying, look, if people are filled with the Spirit, they are going to be a community of encouragement to one another. They're going to be speaking life-giving words to one another, and it won't just be their words. It will be God's words. It could be a psalm. It could be a hymn. It could be a spiritual song, but mutual ministry will be happening anytime that God's people are filled or yielded to the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he tells us a second thing that's going to be true in the life of a person who's filled with the Spirit. He says this, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he tells us that being filled with the Spirit results in a life of worship and a life of thanksgiving, a life of gratitude and this runs countercultural. Today's probably not a good day to do it, but I'll issue you a challenge. And the reason today's not a good day to do it's cuz it's Mother's Day and we're all going to put our best feet forward for the women in our life, the moms that are in our life, but but let's let's begin tomorrow morning when it's not Mother's Day anymore. And I want you to take notice of how good the people in your life are at complaint just speaking the language of complaint. Go to work and just listen to some of the conversations your coworkers are having. And I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be 70 to 90 percent complaint. It's going to be. Because that's where our culture leads. That's where, listen, every one of us in the, this room have, this is a theological term, we all have it. We all have something called the flesh and the flesh is never satisfied it's never happy it always wants more it always does so when people are living out of the flesh complaint they will be fluent in the language of complaint they just will people who live in the flesh are always fluent in the language of complaint On the other hand, people who live yielded or controlled by the Holy Spirit, they become fluent in the language of gratitude, of thanksgiving. They, I mean, as they grow in their worship of God, they experience wonder. They experience awe at the fact that the God of the universe is front and center in their one and only life. And it brings joy and wonder, all these amazing things. So, which would you rather do? Would you rather live your life out of your flesh and learn to speak the language of complaint fluently? Or would you rather be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and just live a life of wonder and awe and thanksgiving? And then finally, he says one more thing is going to happen in the life of someone who would be filled with the Holy Spirit this is Ephesians 5 Uh, this is verse 21 and this is a really important verse this is a verse we're actually going to start we're going to end with this today then we're going to start with it next week because it's so important next week as we talk about marriage and I'll I'll open up next week and tell you why this verse is so these verses are so important in the context of marriage but here's what he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so here's what this tells us about the life of someone who's yielded or controlled by the Holy Spirit you don't have to get your way all the time anymore it's not just your way or the highway you will regularly yield yourself to the needs of others you will be a person that will regularly set your needs aside for the good of someone else now listen naturally the flesh doesn't ever want to do that the flesh would tell you your flesh would tell you hey your needs are the most important needs in the universe do whatever you have to do to get them met and some people do they'll do whatever they have to do to get their needs met whether it defrauds or hurts someone else it doesn't make any difference to them that's just where the flesh always takes you now, uh, in other words, he's saying, "Look, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to routinely add value to other people. You're going to you're going to recognize that their needs are at least as important to yours, and you're going to surrender yourself to those." See, in other words, he's just telling us, "Look, when people are yielded and controlled by the Holy Spirit, they live for the benefit of other people, not just their own benefit." Now. I couldn't talk about wisdom if I didn't walk through very quickly the teaching on a particular verse. I think it's one of the most pivotal verses on wisdom in the entire Bible. It's James chapter one, and it's just a promise, an amazing promise that I want us to tease out together. Here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, that would be all of us, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, one of the foundational teachings about wisdom in the Scriptures is that wisdom starts with God, that wisdom always comes from God. So it makes, only makes sense, right, that if we want wisdom, we should begin to ask God for it and here we are told this amazing thing that god doesn't just give wisdom no he pours it out he pours it out to overflow he gives it generously in other words he's not greedy when it comes to sharing his wisdom with others he's not stingy he delights in sharing wisdom with his children i mean it's just an incredible promise but it comes with a warning Here's the warning, verse 7, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, I think it's important here to understand what we're being called to believe. In other words, when he says, hey, we must believe and not doubt, well, believe what? What is it that we're called to believe? Well, it means that when we come to God and ask him for wisdom, that we have to believe that God is in those moments giving us the very wisdom that we just asked him for. Why? Well, because he's good and he's generous and he pours out wisdom anytime his children ask and so here's and he describes what happens if we don't believe that so let's say you ask God for wisdom you beg God for wisdom for some problem some obstacle that you need to overcome in your life but you don't believe for sure that he's going to give that to you I mean that's just going to result in hand-wringing right anxiety worry fear And if the winds blow this way, you're just going to go this way. That's the decision that you're going to make. And if the winds blow this direction, you're going to make a decision over here. You're going to be what James calls double-minded. You're going to be double-minded because you refuse to just stand on the promise of God and believe that as you were asking for the wisdom, that God was giving you the very wisdom that you needed or that God is going to give you the very wisdom that you needed. Now, there are other steps to gaining wisdom, right? I mean, we should seek wise counsel. We should read God's Word. But, man, it's vital that we ask God daily to give us wisdom for the things that matter to us in our lives so let me just ask you a question today what is it in your life that you need wisdom for I don't know what that is, but I know that, I mean, it could be a financial issue. It could be a relational issue, maybe an issue with one of your children. It could be an issue in your marriage. In fact, next week, I said this earlier, we're going to talk a lot more about what wisdom looks like in a marriage. I mean, I don't know what you may need to ask God need wisdom for today, but I do know that if you would just ask God, that he would give it to you generously and he wouldn't scold you he wouldn't find fault in you he would he wouldn't say things like well you should just know better by now no he gives generously without finding fault he delights in sharing wisdom with his children so i want you to visualize that thing in your life that you need wisdom for and i'm going to give you a minute so everybody needs to come up with one could be something related to your future all right. Now that you have that, I want you to visualize yourself offering that up to God, and I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to pray for you for God to give you wisdom. And so as I'm praying for you, I want to encourage you just in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. I just want to encourage you just in your own little head space to offer that to God and ask God to give you wisdom for how to walk in wisdom, what it might look like for you to walk in in wisdom in this thing, in this next season of your life, okay? All right, so everybody bow your head. Imagine you're lifting whatever that is up to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of your word. You say, if any of us lacks wisdom, that we don't have to live without wisdom for even one more moment. That wisdom is as sure, is as close as you are. And so God, we ask you today for wisdom. Whatever we may be offering up to you in this moment, God, it's hard, it's difficult, it's complex, it's uncertain. So would you give us the wisdom that we need for that life circumstance, for that person that you've placed in our lives. God, would you give us wisdom? God, maybe there's a marriage here and they need great, great wisdom in how to move forward in stronger unity together. Maybe there's an errant child out there and, you know, there's a mom or a dad that's just asking wisdom in how to to parent that child. Maybe there's a financial decision looming and and they don't know what to do god would you give them wisdom in that decision whatever it might be it doesn't even matter what matters god is your promise that you will provide the wisdom to see us through that we don't have to make this decision on our own or by ourselves we don't have to manipulate the circumstances to get what we think we need or what we think we want god we want your wisdom come down from heaven would you pour it out now? God, we thank you that you don't give it greedily or stingily, but that you pour it out generously and that you encourage while you do it. So God, there are people here that are lifting up really hard and heavy things to you right now. I ask that you would encourage them, that you would pat them on the back and say, that a boy, that a girl, you came to me, daddy's got you. Daddy's got this. Would you just speak that word of hope and encouragement to them, even as you help inform their decisions? And so, God, we give you thanks and praise that you are a heavenly Father that is good and kind and generous and wise, and that all of that collides in a generous, crazy wisdom that you delight in sharing with your children. So we give you thanks and praise and we do that in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.